Hello, my name is Andrew Laposha, and welcome to the inaugural episode of The Twilight Years. This is the podcast where we discuss the later years and deaths of notable people. For my first episode, I knew I needed to talk about someone who has remained popular for many years after their death, and who fits that description better than Frank Sinatra. Frank Sinatra is widely regarded as one of the greatest voices of the 20th century, alongside Bing Crosby and Elvis Presley. Some would call him the greatest singer of all time, a claim that I personally would not argue with. His accomplishments as a musician are numerous, having scored two number one Billboard hits, 11 Grammy Awards, a Kennedy Center honor, the Presidential Medal of Freedom, a spot on Time Magazine's 100 Most Influential People of the 20th Century, and much more. Not only was he a legendary singer, but he was also an accomplished film actor. Old Blue Eyes, as he was often referred to, won an Academy Award in 1954 for his performance in From Here to Eternity. He also gave critically acclaimed performances in many other movies. Yes, Frank Sinatra had it all. However, his personal life drew just as many headlines. Sinatra's temper was legendary. There's been a long-standing rumor that he blacklisted his ex-son-in-law, Tommy Sands, from show business after his divorce from his daughter, Nancy. He went at it with journalists who he felt crossed him and threatened to have comedians who cracked jokes about him to be beaten up or even killed. Frank was married four times, had numerous affairs, and was under FBI investigation for alleged ties with the Mafia. And of course, his death in final years also drew much talk. Much like Frank, his longtime friend and confidant, Jilly Rizzo, also had a controversial past. In 1974, Jilly Rizzo was fined on assault and battery charges on an insurance executive, and in 1990, he was convicted of bank fraud on an $8 million loan scheme. However, the judge determined that he was too old and sick to go to prison, so instead he was given 1,000 hours of community service. May 6, 1992 was Jilly Rizzo's 75th birthday. Jilly had spent that day at his house preparing for a party in his honor that was to occur the next day. Around midnight, Jilly left his house to go to the home of his girlfriend to get some rest. As he was crossing a busy intersection, a drunk driver named Jeffrey Perot smashed into the side of Jilly's Jaguar. The electronics were locked and the gas cap was knocked off. The car suddenly burst into flames. Jilly was trapped inside and he burned to death. Jeffrey Perot, the young man who had hit Jilly's car, was convicted of second-degree murder and was sentenced to prison. He was granted parole and released in March of 2015. Frank was devastated by the death of his friend. He secluded himself for days, not speaking to anyone. Despite this, Frank pulled himself together enough to be a pallbearer at Jilly's funeral. According to his fourth wife, Barbara, performing was Frank's therapy, and within a few weeks, he was back to touring, starting in Europe. Frank continued to sell out theaters and arenas. In 1993, Sinatra put out an album called Duets. In this album, Frank performed with various artists. There were duets with contemporaries like Tony Bennett, but also with younger artists like Bono, Gloria Estefan, and Julio Iglesias. Duets was a smash hit and went three times platinum. A year later, a sequel called Duets 2 was put out. It wasn't as successful as its predecessor, but still managed to sell millions of copies. Despite this, it still won a Grammy. Duets 2 turned out to be Frank's last studio recordings. The beginning of the end for Frank Sinatra came on March 6, 1994. Frank was doing a concert in Richmond, Virginia. Midway through singing his signature song, My Way, Frank turned to his son, Frank Jr., who was conducting the orchestra, and asked for a chair. 
before a chair could be given to the singer, he crashed face down on the floor. The crowd gasped. The orchestra kept playing as his opening act, comedian Tom Dreesen, and Frank Jr. ran to Frank's side. They loosened his tie to check for a pulse. A doctor in the audience went up on stage to tend to Frank. An ambulance was called and the singer was helped into a wheelchair. As he was taken away, Frank waved and blew kisses to his audience, who gave him a standing ovation. At the hospital, he was diagnosed with dehydration in the southern heat, which was made worse by his blood pressure medications. There was talk of admitting him, and a senior doctor insisted on it, not wanting anything to happen to the star. After the doctor spoke, Frank turned to Tom Dreesen and said, Let's get the fuck out of here. He was discharged and flown home to Palm Springs. Frank continued to perform the next few months, much to everyone's concern. Shortly thereafter, Frank and Barbara sold their Palm Springs home to a Canadian entrepreneur who was a huge fan. The Sinatras moved to a beach house in Malibu. Frank's last performance as a solo artist was on February 25, 1995, at a celebrity gala for Barbara's Children's Center. He delivered a six-song set. According to Esquire magazine, Frank was on the money. Later that year, he celebrated his 80th birthday. The Empire State Building was bathed in blue lights for the occasion, and an all-star televised tribute was scheduled, executive produced by his friend George Schlaughter, who was most notable for creating Roan and Martin's Laugh-In. All proceeds would go to his wife's children's center and to an AIDS charity. Frank was nervous. He knew he wasn't feeling well and was concerned with how he would look on camera. Bruce Springsteen and Bob Dylan had dinner with Frank the night before and had a wonderful time. At the taping, Frank entered to a standing ovation and joked that it was for still being alive. Several stars spoke and sang many of Frank's hit songs. At the end, New York, New York was sung, and he was invited onto the stage to join in, though he appeared disoriented and off-key. It was the last time he would ever stand in front of an audience. Afterwards, with Frank no longer touring and performing, he began to relax. Some claim he lost his will to live, but Barbara didn't believe that. She claimed that it was him admitting his age and allowing himself to act like it. He stopped wearing his toupee and grew a beard. He slept more and stopped exercising frequently. His hearing sight and balance diminished, but he continued to read and do crossword puzzles. When Frank and Barbara did go out, however, they were constantly hounded by the press. When they left the house, multiple cars were sent out in different directions so that the paparazzi wouldn't know which one to follow. In the event that they did follow the car he was in, Frank would slouch down in the back seat. But at restaurants, they could hardly keep their privacy. They knew it was best to stay inside. Almost weekly, the Sinatras entertained guests, many of whom were celebrities, though sometimes Frank would stay in his den and watch TV. Around this time, Frank's mental capacity began to deteriorate. He would not be able to recognize his own children and ask where his daughter Nancy was when she came to visit one time. Occasionally, Barbara would play music for him and he wouldn't recognize himself. He developed bladder cancer as well as colon problems. On November 1st, 1996, Frank was taken to the Cedar sinai Medical Center for a pinched nerve, checking himself in as Albert Francis. He also had a small bout of pneumonia. After eight days, Frank was released. Whenever in the hospital, he would always put up such a fuss that they'd often release him prematurely. That December, when Nancy asked him what he wanted for Christmas, he replied, another Christmas. On January 9, 1997, Frank suffered a heart attack and was rushed back to Cedar sinai This came just two days after spending the night there for an undisclosed reason. 
Frank spent most of 1997 bedridden and was hospitalized multiple times. The tabloids would always make outrageous claims that he was near death, and the paparazzi would always hang out by his house, hoping to get a final picture. Some tabloid editors were offering $100,000 for such a picture. A sheet was always held up whenever Frank was taken out of his house. To not draw attention, Frank requested that the ambulance sirens be turned off, meaning they had to stop at every red light. This would often backfire as the paparazzi would get out of their vehicles and press their cameras up to the windows. Sometimes, someone from the press would check themselves into the hospital with a made-up ailment, hoping they could snap a picture. Even when Frank was at home at the beach house, the paparazzi would still try to get a picture of him, going so far as to hire boats and drop anchor a few yards away from the beach. Friends like Dick Martin and Steve Lawrence would drop their pants and moon the photographers flying in helicopters overhead. Barbara planted a row of ficus trees to obstruct Frank from the view of the press. Frank even insisted on carrying a handgun, though Barbara had a staff member take the pin out so it would not fire. In late 1997, Frank requested that no measures were to be taken to keep him alive. He wanted to die with dignity. On Thanksgiving Day of that year, his daughter Nancy made a post on Frank's official website stating, We realize he has been through a lot in his 81 years and that God may have a schedule other than what we would like, but he is tough and who's to say that he won't get back in the race? Maybe we can make a small miracle together. Frank was hospitalized for a few minor ailments in 1998. On May 14th of that year, Frank and Barbara had lunch by their pool. He was in good spirits. That night, Barbara went out to have dinner with friends. She went and kissed her husband, who was napping in their downstairs bedroom, saying, Good night, darling. Sleep warm. A little after 9 p.m., Frank summoned his two nurses to his side, complaining of dizziness and chest pains. All of a sudden, he had a massive heart attack. 911 was called, and they arrived within a few minutes. He was rushed to Cedar sinai Medical Center. Meanwhile, at the restaurant Morton's, where Barbara was dining, she was told that Frank was being rushed to the hospital. One of her friends drove her back to her house. No one was home. They sped to the hospital, buzzing through every stop sign and red light. Thankfully, traffic was light because many Americans were at home watching the final episode of Seinfeld. Barbara rushed to Frank's side and encouraged him to fight on. Frank murmured, I'm losing. Then he closed his eyes and died. Frank Sinatra was 82 years old. As a side note, when Frank passed away, comedian Dana Carvey was the angioplasty patient in the next room. Frank's body was dressed in a blue suit. In his casket, a flask of Jack Daniels, his signature drink was placed, as well as his favorite candies, a packet of cigarettes, his Zippo lighter, and a roll of dimes, which dated back to when his son was kidnapped in 1963. His funeral was held at Good Shepherd Catholic Church on May 19, 1998. His funeral was largely attended by dozens of celebrities, such as Milton Berle, Tony Curtis, Kirk Douglas, Bob Dylan, Larry King, Ed McMahon, Jack Nicholson, Nancy Reagan, Gregory Peck, Robert Wagner, Tim Conway, Wayne Newton, Liza Minnelli, and his ex-wife Mia Farrow, and that's just to name a few. Don Rickles and Steve Lawrence served as pallbearers. As the funeral ended, a plane flew across the sky, trailing a banner in the shape of a heart and Frank's name. Fans were gathered across the street holding banners. Frank had a private interment at Desert Memorial Park in Cathedral City, California. Frank left Barbara most of his estate, though his children received a large sum of money as well. 
A stipulation in Frank's will stated that anyone who contested it would be disinherited. After her husband's death, Barbara knew that life had to go on, and she kept busy with her children's center as well as helping out with other charities that Frank supported. Friends would often invite her to dinner and parties, and while she appreciated the gesture, she preferred to stay home with her memories. One night, three weeks after Frank's death, she went to a quiet dinner with her son Bobby at the home of George Schlaughter and his wife Jolene. They walked there because it was just a few blocks away. The Schlaughters escorted them back afterwards. All of a sudden, a car pulled up to the curb and four men jumped out. The men separated all of them. One of the men got in Barbara's face and demanded to know where the park was. Barbara bravely replied that she did not know of a park around there. Suddenly, the man grabbed Barbara's arm, shouting, Give me your purse! She let him have it, hoping the man would go away. George punched one of the men who was trying to take his Rolex off his wrist. Barbara spotted Bobby on the ground without his glasses as the robber was picking through his pockets. Barbara ran over to the man and yelled him to stop. The men jumped in the car and sped away. Amidst all this, Jolene had managed to get inside a nearby house and got the lady who lived there to call the police. The police arrived to take statements. They wanted Barbara to give a press conference to publicize the attack, but she refused. Barbara went back home, and her son made sure that she was safely inside. She went to sleep, but was awoken to the sound of the house alarm a while later. Police showed up with dogs to search the house and grounds, but nothing was found. The next morning, Barbara's gardener found a young man who had slept in a storage compartment in the garage. Barbara felt vulnerable, but she also felt that there was no point staying in a big house anymore. She put it on the market and moved back to Palm Springs later that year. In January 2000, Frank Jr. announced that he would be dropping the Jr. from his name. He died of a heart attack shortly before a scheduled performance in Daytona Beach, Florida, on March 16, 2016. He was 72 years old. Barbara died on July 25, 2017. She was 90. Frank's legacy remains strong. He was widely respected, as evidenced by the laundry list of stars who showed up to his funeral. Even in death, his music remains very popular. He's often cited as an influence by many singers. Many will say that he set the standard for how all singers should be. His popularity shows no sign of slowing down anytime soon. Thank you all for listening to my first episode of The Twilight Years. Please don't forget to subscribe. If possible, leave me a review. If you have any requests for somebody you would like to see talked about on this podcast, let me know and I will do my best to get to them. Thanks again for listening, and I will see you next time.